Let me ask you this. Is there subjects that you do not enjoy talking about? Right in front of me, report cards in a few weeks. Possibly. End of the quarter, uh, grades coming in at your uh, parents' house. Maybe it's a kidney stone or uh, a police report or the IRS. I don't know what it would be. But there are subjects that we don't enjoy talking about, but that we need to, we need to address and we need to talk about. This morning, we're going to look at one of those that we don't enjoy talking about, but that we need to address, and that's the subject of hell. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16, if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, the scriptures will be on the screens. But I want us to look at this. I want you to look at it really from two perspectives this morning, wherever you are in your life. Some of you this morning uh, are Christians. You know you belong to God. And it could be easy to say, well, a sermon on hell does not apply to me. It's not anything I need to hear. It's not where I am. I know I'm going to heaven and, and all that. You couldn't be any farther from the truth if that's your assumption because until you understand other people's destiny without Christ, you are going to sit on your hands and you are not going to be motivated to bring people to Jesus. It's a tremendously important message for Christians in the church. This morning you may be here and you may have grown up in church, been in church your whole life, but maybe this morning God is going to get a hold to your attention, get a hold to your heart, because this is the destiny, Jesus says, for those who don't know him when they die. Let's begin with this fundamental principle. Jesus says hell is a real place. Now, to me, I'm starting, uh, I'm with, I've got a bias. I'm going to go with Jesus, okay? That's my bias. I'm telling you up front. Jesus says, and we're going to walk through this scripture, Jesus says that there's a literal place called heaven and there's a literal place called hell. Now, I know in our world today, that's not popular. In fact, America, and Americans, sometimes we brag about that we're the, you know, God's country and all this. America, in polls, recent polls, 50% of Americans, 50% of Americans do not believe in a place called hell. They believe it doesn't exist or it's not very bad or, you know, it's just kind of an alternative. just kind of time out for a while. Uh, kind of that situation. But, but not only just Americans, even religious institutions are buying into that. The Church of England, almost 20 years ago, 1996, came out with a statement saying, we have changed our doctrine. We no longer accept the traditional view what the Bible teaches about hell. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny that a church, a denomination would come out and say, hey, we don't, we don't buy what the Bible says anymore. We've come up with our own view. Isn't that kind of crazy? That's kind of like a coach on Friday night telling the referee, we're, we're not playing by those rules anymore. We, we're creating our own. Uh, they said, you know, hell, we don't believe hell exists like the Bible teaches it. Well, let's go to Jesus. Let's go to Jesus, who I think is probably the, uh, the, the best source on this subject. In verse 19 through 21 of Luke 16, it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus who was covered with sores, and he longed to eat from what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Let me give you a little context into this. You have two characters here. You have a rich man who's not named. 
You have a poor, name, poor man named Lazarus. Now, a lot of people say this is a parable. A parable is a story Jesus often uses. Basically, you make up a story to, to teach a truth. There's never any parables that Jesus teaches where he calls someone by name. The good, the, the, the good Samaritan, he doesn't call the good Samaritan Frank or the prodigal son. He doesn't say, and Billy came home. He, he doesn't do that. He calls one person Lazarus here. I don't believe this is a parable. I believe this is a story Jesus saw played out in the past. We have a rich man. Says he's dressed in purple. Now, again, to you and me, that may not mean anything. But in Jesus' day, purple, the color purple was hard to, to come across. You had to get the, to make the dye, you had to get it from a certain type of fish. It was costly. And so people that wore purple garments were either wealthy or thieves because it was hard to get those. And this is an interesting note. The high priest of Judaism wore a purple robe too. I don't know if this was a priest or not. But that is an interesting little curveball in there. And it says he fared sumptuously. In some translations even say it. He ate lavishly every day. Now, a week or two ago, I said this in a sermon. Today, thin is in. Back then, chubby was the way. That's the good old days, wasn't it? Here's how you judged if someone had money. Obviously, how they dressed. But if they were chubby, because most people were poor... But you couldn't go down, you know, you couldn't walk across the street to county market for $2 and buy you some little Debbies and chow down. I mean, it was, food was a little bit harder to come by. So people who were bigger meant that they, they did well financially. So this is a guy who ate buffets every day. He dressed in purple. And the other character is a man named Lazarus who is desperately poor, possibly even a cripple since he was laid uh, at the gate of the rich man. I want to tell you, we're fixing to see one goes to heaven and one goes to hell. It's not based on one being rich. He doesn't go to hell because he's rich, and the other guy doesn't go to heaven because he's poor. It's because of what their hearts were like. But let's move on in the story. In verse 22 and 23, this is where it really kicks in. It says, This time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died, and he was buried. And in hell, where he was in torments, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, let me explain this. In the New Testament times, the, the word Hades, remember the New Testament is a Greek background, the New Testament is written in Greek. The word Hades literally meant place of the dead where everybody went to Hades. Now, let me define that. There was a good part of Hades where people who had a faith relationship with God went. It was called paradise. Uh, it, it is called paradise. The Jewish rabbis referred to it as Abraham's bosom. So the poor man dies. He obviously has a relationship with God. And he goes to paradise. Whether paradise is the final heaven or not, if you're in the presence of God in a wonderful, wonderful place, that, there may be another heaven when all is said and done, but that's an awesome place. The, the, the rich man, it says, he went to Gehenna. He went to hell, the bad part of Hades. Now, I want to show you on a map. It's very interesting. Gehenna comes from a a literal place in Jerusalem called the Valley of Hanam. Now, if you see right in the middle here, this is a mosque. It's called the Dome of the Rock. And that place right there, that is where, that is where we believe the Holy of Holies 
in Jerusalem was. That was where the temple was in Jesus' day. This is a picture taken from the Mount of Olives. Jesus ascended uh, back to heaven from the Mount of Olives, and he is coming back to the Mount of Olives, and he did a lot of work there. If you look over here, this is the old city of Jerusalem. There's the old city wall. If you look over here, there's a valley that runs down here. That is called the Valley of Hanam. And the history of it is intriguing and it's terrible. Hundreds of years before Jesus, the Jewish people had freaked out. They had gone completely evil. They were worshiping false gods and they would actually sacrifice their children as a part of, uh, of their worship. They would kill their own children, throw them, burn them alive. It was terrible. And when the good guys took back over, here's what they did. They said, you have so desecrated this place, we're going to turn your evil worship place into a garbage dump. That's a pretty good idea, isn't it? And so in Jesus' day, the Valley of Hanam was a smelly, rotten, burning, all the way, all around the clock, 24-7, garbage dump. That's what Jesus says about hell. But to get back to the meat of it is, Jesus Christ says hell is a real place. A guy named John Blanchard wrote a book. And in this book, the title, Whatever Happened to Hell, he lays out 700 times, 700 times in the 66 books of the Bible that the idea of hell or judgment is mentioned. I mean, listen, you can, you can stop up your ears, you can close your eyes, you can find a preacher who will tell you anything you want to hear, but I don't know about you, I want to go with Jesus. Here's why this matters to you if hell's a real place or not. Because if you don't have a relationship with Christ, the Bible says that's where you're headed. The Bible says people you and I love dearly and care about without a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that's where they are headed. That's why this is super important. Jesus said it's real, that's good enough for me. But what does Jesus say it's like? We're going to scratch the surface in this passage. We won't be exhaustive, but it it will be significant. The second thing Jesus says is hell is a place of terrible awareness. It's a place of terrible awareness. And I want to try to define this in in a couple of ways. But here's the first thought. See, the Bible teaches that death is a transition to a, a next life. Death is not your end is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if you are a Christian when you die, you will leave this earth. And you will go and spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Abraham's bosom, paradise. The Bible teaches if you're not a Christian, that when you leave this earth, you will go and you will be alive in a place called hell for eternity. And, and when you die, almost, this is so important, you're going to be more alive then than you are today. No, it's not like this is a dress rehearsal and life doesn't matter because it matters greatly. But death is a transition to a next life. It's not the end. It's the end of the earthly life, but it's the beginning of the eternal life. In, in, in heaven or hell, you're going to be aware. I want to tell you the second thing Jesus teaches us here. A person will be aware that they are in hell. Verse 23 and 24. In hell where he was in torments, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. You know, it's bad enough to be in a rotten position. But to clearly understand that you're in a rotten position multiplies the pain. In other words... 
if a person leaves this earth and they go to hell, they're going to be aware that they're in hell. You'll be more conscious and aware in heaven or hell than you ever are even here on this earth. Here's a third part of this. In hell, they're aware of heaven. I mean, to me, this ups the ante, too, of, uh, of the badness. In verse 23, in hell where he was in torments, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away. You know, you think about this. It's bad enough to be in a bad spot. It's doubly horrible when you can see a wonderful spot. When you're in the worst place and then not far away, you can see something that's wonderful. That's how hell is described. Jesus laying this out. It's a place of terrible awareness. Aware of your situation. Aware of where you are. And aware of the most wonderful place ever, heaven. I want to give you a last part of this. And, and, and that's, this is a tough part too. In hell, people are going to forever remember how they blew it. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look, in, let's look in this scripture passage. Verse 25. But Abraham replied, Son, remember. Remember that in your lifetime you received good things. While Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted and you're in torments. That biblical word remember means literally to recall or to grasp. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. How many of you occasionally play the what if and if only game? What if I would have invested that money in Google? (laughs) What if I hadn't invested that money here? What if I would have done this or done that? We can play that out all day. Sure you have. That's what hell will be. Hell will be forever kicking yourself in the head saying, what if I would have responded? What if I would have done this differently? I heard a preacher say, and I think this is true years ago, that he felt like part of hell will be remembering church services like this and opportunities you had, many of us, multiple, multiple, multiple times to respond to Christ, but we didn't. We were too prideful. We didn't care. We knew we were young. And we had a lot more life to live. And then all of a sudden something happened and we're standing before God. Hell will be a place of terrible remembrance. And probably one of the worst things it will be is remembering the blown opportunities that we had here on this earth to accept Christ. Hell's horrible. But it doesn't end there. It's real. It's an awareness. But it's hell's also, Jesus says, a place of terrible separation. A place of terrible separation. Whoop, my Bible's upside down. I'm pretty good, but I don't think I could have read that. Brian, you got the screen there? Is that up? There we go. Okay. Verse 26. Man, this is tough. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that no one who wants to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The Bible says between heaven and hell there is a, a gulf, a valley, whatever it is, that is so deep and so wide, it is impossible to get across it, to get past it, to get over it. It's, it's impassable. It's impossible. So I want to give you two thoughts on this. Number one, a person in hell is totally separated from God. Totally separated from God. 
you and I cannot imagine what this means. You see, every, every moment of your life, you've had access to God. Think about this. I mean, from the time you were born to the time you leave this earth, you have access to God. You can pray to God. You can call out to God. You need help. You can ask God to help you. And, and the Bible says God is, is, is near to us, is, is literally is our body. He's right here. But the second a person dies without Jesus Christ and they enter into hell, there's a separation from God forever. Forever. It's unimaginable. Complete and total separation. But not only that, it's a separation from other people forever. You you see, there's this thought that, well, I may go to hell, but so most of my friends and family are going to hell, so it'll be okay. I remember hearing a, a country comedian say one time, he said, well, if you go to hell... You'll be so busy shaking hands with old friends it won't really seem like hell. That's just, that's just false. Folks, get this out of your head. If you end up in hell, it is your choice. That is not what God wants for you. But please understand, it's not going to be a place of partying and fellowship. It's going to be a place of total separation. And by the way, separation and isolation leads to insanity. That's one reason I believe that the, the hell's going to be a, a, an insane asylum on steroids is what hell's going to be like. In, in the, the beginning years as our country was moving west, the government tried to get city dwellers to go out in the, the western part of our country so they would give them land. And it's a really cool thing. You poor people, people who lived in the city didn't have anything. Now they're given this acreage. And so they would go out, they would go out wherever they're going, Colorado, New Mexico, and they would have their landmark and they would put their house a lot of times right in the middle of the property. That way nobody was around them and they could walk around their house and say, everything I see, I own. But then something weird began to happen. People began to go crazy. And photographers from the east would come out and they would see these men with the the 200-yard stairs and and these women that had crazy hair and these kids with little haunted eyes. And what they found out was is the isolation was driving them crazy. And so people began to all, they they would bunch up and live in the corners of their property where they were around other people. See, we weren't meant to be alone. You're not meant to exist without God. You're not meant to exist without other people. The Bible says hell is going to be a place of terrible, terrible separation. I want to give you a fourth thing. Hell's going to be a place of terrible suffering. If you attended Sunday school as a kid and you listened, at some point you heard this. You heard that hell is a place of horrible suffering. And your Sunday school teacher didn't lie to you. They may have held back, but they didn't lie. And the truth is, about hell, it's so hard to get our hands around it, we have, to, we have to almost joke or we create or invent ideas of what hell is like. I have said before, to me, hell would be having to watch Steel Magnolias and Hope Float over and over and over. I want to tell you, that'd be heaven compared to what hell's like. I want to give you two thoughts, and the first is this. Hell is described as a place of fire. Verse 24, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. 
If you're a scholar this morning and you care the word fire, you know what it means? It means fiery. It just means fiery. Let me give you two other scriptures. There's a thousand, but here's two. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. And Revelation 20, 15, next to the, right at the end of the Bible, it says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, the only thing I can come up with is every time when Jesus talked about hell, he talked about it being a place of fire. Now, how how can we rationally explain a person can have a body that could burn but not burn up? He's God. And, and that may be how our, our bodies in the next life are. They're way different than they are here. But however you cut it, you have to come back to this. Hell is clearly a place of terrible emotional and physical suffering. It's a place of terrible emotional and physical suffering. Dr. Maurice Rollins, is, he may, still may be, but he was a cardiologist and a professor at the University of Tennessee Medical School for years. He's written two books. You might look those up. Rawlings, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S is his last name. When he was a, a young doctor, they were doing a procedure on a man. The man died, and he came back to life. And when he came back to life, he was terrified. And Dr. Rawlings said, what's happened? He said, I was going to hell. Well, Dr. Rollins wasn't a Christian then, but he said that certainly got his attention. So he began an informal little study. And over the years, he interviewed 300 people who coded, who died, and who were brought back to life as quickly as he could after the experience. Because he said, as time goes on, their experiences, they begin to tell the stories differently. And he said, half of those 300 people talked about they were on their way to a place where there was fire There was screaming, and there were people in agony. Wow. Let's see what Jesus says in here about this. Verse 23. In hell where he was in torment. Verse 24. Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in agony. In verse 25, at the end of it, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Verse 28, I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Four times that, ad, that, that concept, that word of agony, of torment, of suffering, being tortured, is mentioned. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something hard, but so true right now. You need a preacher and a doctor who will tell you the truth. And I don't like preaching on this. I'm supposed to be sitting there listening to somebody else preach right now. My wife said, are you going to preach on hell because you're mad? And I said, no. (laughs) Pants, though, do go with the theme. But you need somebody to tell you the truth. Man, you can, you can find a church, you can find a preacher, you can YouTube it, and they'll explain it away or they'll say we're going to all end up in heaven, but that's not what the Bible teaches. 
And the Bible doesn't teach that hell's just going to be a little uncomfortable. It teaches it's going to be a place of terrible suffering emotionally and physically. And if you're 14 or you're 24 or 44 or 84 or 94, and you do not have a relationship with Christ, that's in your future. And the last thing that kind of drives the nail into the coffin is Jesus says hell is a permanent place. It's a permanent place. I'm not going to read verse 26 again, but verse 26 says there's a gulf between heaven and hell, which is impassable. In other words, you can't get out of one place or the other. In Matthew 25, verse 46, it says they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Leon Morris and A.A. Hodges are, are, are and were very good Bible scholars. And both of them, it's interesting, say about this word eternal, that it's the strongest word in the Greek language talking about non-ending You see, what that passage is saying here is that when you die and you go to heaven, it's forever. Isn't that awesome? It is eternal. It's non-ending life is what heaven is. And hell is just the opposite. It's non-ending death. It's not annihilation. It's not a knockout punch. It's not, it's over. It's non-ending death is how hell is described. It's permanent There's no fixing it. There's no conning God. There's no getting a lawyer. There's no bribing him. Once you leave this earth and your your destiny is sealed at that point, it's permanent. Dante, the Italian poet in his work, The Inferno, said the gates of hell as someone enters them has these words, abandon all ye hope who enter here. That's not in the Bible, but it's biblical. So I want to give every one of you one last thought before we give a response time. You Christians, I had a teacher in seminary tell me this, tell our class, he said, you will never, you will never bring other people to Jesus till you're convinced about hell. Verse 27 and 28, he answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Christian, listen to me. Some of you say, sharing my faith is not my thing. That's somebody else's job. That's not my gift. That's not my talent. Here's a man in hell. You know what he's saying? I beg you, send somebody to tell my family and friends so they won't end up here either. You need to get off of whatever's holding you back. Get your life right with Christ. And you need to look at your children, your mom, your dad, your parents, your friends, and say, if they don't have Christ, they're going to hell. And who are you waiting on to tell them? Start bringing people to Christ. If you believe Jesus. The last thing I want to look at is Matthew 26 41 again, 25, uh, Matthew 25, 41. It says, hell, depart from me who are cursed. Listen to this. And to the eternal fire prepared for who? Okay, you're not a Christian this morning. Here's the great, here's why the gospel's good news. Hell was not made for you. You're not supposed to go there. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. You don't have to go there. Isn't that great? 
You don't have to go there. You say this morning, well, Chris, you're just trying to scare us, and that's a bad reason to become a Christian. There's not a bad reason to become a Christian. When I was 19, a big reason I became a Christian is I realized I was lost and that if I left this earth, I was going to hell. And you know what? That was worth me surrendering my life to Jesus. It'll be worth you doing that too in just a moment. Let's pray. Christian, please this morning, let God speak to your heart, wake you up, motivate you. Christian, do you really believe what Jesus says? And you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian. I want you to pray with me right where you are. Just pray if you're ready to do this and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. Jesus, I accept that you're God's son that you died for me that you came back to life for me Jesus come into my heart this morning I surrender my life to you and ask you to save me today Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a minute. Maybe you're here today and God's leading you to join our church. When we stand, come on and do that today. Come on and join us this morning. Maybe you're here today as a Christian. I hope God has has popped you in the heart. Maybe you need to leave your seat and come... Get on your knees before God and pray with a minister for that lost family member or friend. Or maybe you just need to say, God, I need to get back on track so I can help people come to you. Christian, do that today. Or maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your heart and your life. Are you ready to do that? Listen, you got an opportunity today you may never have again. Give your life to Jesus today. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.